0: The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Bow down your gracious ear to me and hear my cry, my prayer, my plea. Make haste for my protection, for woes and fears surround me here. Help me in my affliction. In the name of Jesus, Amen. That was a prayer from today's hymn of the day, which I didn't even know existed. Like, until we were going over in staff, and like, that was one of the ones that, that there was the, the hymn of the day, and I was like, I don't know if, if, if we should do that because no one knows it. And right away, Pastor Barton's being himself, like a jolly old elf, just like, but da 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 It's like I, after seeing that, I had this, oh, seeing it. It's catchy. Now, if you look at this hymn, if you, if you haven't been to church yet, you'll you'll catch it in a late service. The guy who wrote it is like a contemporary of Luther, Adam Ruzner. Um, awesome hymn the text on prayer just perfectly matches the hymn of the day the theology of this prayer i trust o lord your holy name let me not be put to shame nor let me be confounded my faith o lord be in your word forever firmly grounded bow down your gracious ear to me and hear my cry my prayer my plea make haste for my protection for woes and fear surround me here help me in my affliction You are my strength. This is like Psalm 46, uh, mighty fortresses are God type stuff. You are my strength, my shield, my rock, my fortress that withstands each shock, my help, my life, my tower, my battle sword, almighty Lord, who can resist your power. With you, O Lord, I cast my lot. O faithful God, forsake me not. To you, my soul commending, Lord, be my stay and lead the way now and when life is ending. Oh, it's great, great hymn. So uh, it's fun to to be, it's always fun to learn something new. Like I didn't know there was stuff in there I didn't know. And and, and usually when you run across hymns you don't know, what, you despise them. (laughs) That was like, when I was picking out hymns in my first church in Colorado, the idea, so you have a lot of, the, the classic problem is you find a church, they've only been doing the same like 10 hymns forever, and you show up at a seminary and you pull out a new hymn that you think everybody should know. And they don't, and no one knows it, which means they hate you, like you're the problem. So you have to start with like all the crowd pleasers and end with all the crowd pleasers. And you jam in the middle of the sandwich, this foreign hymn that no one knows. And you do it every week for like a month until they learn it, right? But then they, the idea is to have them not be mad at you when they're coming to shake your hand at the end of church. That's, you have a familiar closing hymn. But here, I mean, this congregation is so great where you have people, it's such a transient church. Unfortunately, we, as soon as you get to know a lot of people, they leave, they move to Texas or whatever it is. But um, with that, though, we have people coming from all kinds of backgrounds and they're willing to, hey, this is what, this is what we're doing. That's cool. Let's, let's learn some new stuff. So that's cool to be to have these hymns that confess the faith so clearly couple quick announcements coming up on November 6th, we'll we'll be having All Saints Day. So it's not next weekend, but the week after that is actually out Reformation Sunday, October 30th this year. And the weekend after that, so we're giving you like three weeks out. We're going to have one service at 930, uh, All Saints Day. We thought that was an appropriate time to get everybody together to rejoice together with all the saints in heaven, as well as those here in our congregation and the Sunday school kids. We'll be singing the, one of the songs they're learning right now. I believe it's a couple stanzas of "For All the Saints." Bum, 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 it's great. That's November sixth, and um, theology on tap uh, this Thursday. We're beginning a new text, so that's seven o'clock. Luther's Large Catechism. Uh, plan to get through maybe the first commandment. Um, if you do if you haven't had a chance to get through that, I think it's very helpful. The, the Large Catechism is written for for you. It's like so you've you've you kind of you've learned the small catechism and you're learning to apply it and you want to go maybe a little bit deeper into like why I wonder why why this or why that or how this applies in different situations. So to think through it a little bit more deeply, uh, jump into the large catechism if you want to read in advance. It's available electronically through the week at a glance for free and uh, also free copies of it in the in the in the church office on the the desk when you first walk in there on the right. So. Um, if you've got an older translation, if you have a book of Concord, it's in there as well. There's different translations. I think that's all of our announcements. Luke 12, I have ambitiously uh, put a handout together that might allow us to complete all of chapter 12. might be unrealistic, but we're going to give it a go. Um, so, so there's a lot in here, but we'll just kind of keep chugging through. So chapter 12 has covered a lot of different, a lot of different topics. As you think back, chapter 11 was like this railing against the Pharisees. You whitewashed tombs, uh, lots of anti-Pharisee type stuff. And then we get into chapter um, chapter 12, which is a lot of have no fear. Those who want to take away, hurt the body, but can't hurt the soul, specifically the Pharisees. Uh, or anybody who would try to hurt the body should be more mindful of the eternal things. Speaking of the eternal things, when you have your mind on the eternal things, you don't care much about your possessions, don't let them consume you or become your gods. So it goes on against possessions, becoming our God for a big chunk, uh, acknowledging God before, uh, before men. And then we start getting a little bit at this return of Christ. So uh, we don't know when it's going to be. He's going to come like a thief in the night. Don't worry about it though. When he comes, he's coming to, to save you, but he is coming back. And then we're kind of keeping with that same theme. So just to get us a running start, maybe we'll back up to verse 40, 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everybody? And the Lord said, who then is in, in classic Jesus form, a really classic pastor form, how many of you like, like poor Miss Dunwall has to deal with this all the time. I have, a, I have a quick question for you, just yes or no. And then you, you don't get a yes or no out of a pastor. It's impossible. So uh, but that's the same with Jesus. Like you ask Jesus a question, he ends up answering it in a longer way. The Lord said, "'Who then is the faithful and wise manager "'whom his master will set over his household "'to give them their portion of food at the proper time? "'Blessed is that servant "'whom his master will find so doing when he comes. "'Truly, I say to you, "'he will set him over all his possessions. "'But if that servant says to himself, "'My master is delayed in coming "'and begins to beat the male and female servants "'and to eat and drink and get drunk, "'the master of that servant will come on a day "'when he does not expect him and in an hour, he does not know and will cut him in pieces, escalated quickly, and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Whew. So first off, quest, first question in your handout there, to whom is this warning given? I got that nice night at the Roxbury clip there for anybody, throwback to the 90s reference. Who, me, him, me, him? Who's he talking about? Who's Jesus? Is he talking about? Is he talking about the disciples, the inner core, the 12? Or is he talking about all of the Lord's disciples, the whole crowd who's there? So he's talking about being ready, the, the parable he just gave about the, the, the master coming back and the servants being there and being ready. And so Peter's like, okay, just to be clear on this, if, if it's me who needs to be ready, could you like, let me know, let me know, be specific. And then he says, well, he gives the parable of the wise manager who sets over his household to give them their food at the proper time. So who is that? So it's it's a steward of God's, the food, that's supposed to be handed out to the people. But it's not talking about food because Jesus doesn't run a restaurant. So what's he talking about? I mean, in some ways he's talking a little bit about something that you eat perhaps at times. Who are the stewards of the Lord's gifts? So if this is 1 Corinthians 4, the stewards of the mysteries, which is part of where we get our word for sacrament, the 1 Corinthians, for, for, first Corinthians for, 4 talks about the pastors as stewards of the mysteries. So remember to be a steward is to, to be managing something that does not belong to you, but your job is to do with it what the owner tells you to do with it. So like when your neighbor goes out of town, they say, hey, could you go, could you feed my, my dogs while I'm gone and let them out a couple times a day and that kind of thing? They don't become your dogs, but you basically treat them like they are your dogs. Because if they get out and start running toward the street, you panic, right? Because you they entrusted me to to take care of these dogs. I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to take those dogs and go sell them, or take them to the pound, right? I'm supposed to do what the master asked me to do: feed them, let them out, right? Take them on a walk. That's to be a steward is to do what God has given you to do. So. The commentators mostly agree that this is, this is uh, to all the disciples, because remember in the context, Peter hasn't been sent out. Um, they there are, there are his inner 12, but he's also, he, he is the inner 12 as an apostle, but he is referring to all the disciples, but certainly in a heightened sense for pastors, to whom is given to be the stewards, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Uh, A couple of fun notes here. So notice the primary uh, requirements for the stewards. What are they supposed to be? To say, who then is the faithful and wise manager? So to be faithful is simply to, to do what's been given to us to do to administer the gifts faithfully in accordance with God's word. Not necessarily we're looking for the most energetic or the most winsome or most talented or whatever, like all these earthly attributes that we often uh, expect in a particular leader. But notice the the complexity of the pastoral office. The Lord's putting us in a position to teach and preach. And just by by necessity, we're like, you're kind of the de facto, leader so we end up looking for leadership qualities in the pastor but the lord never talks about it in that way so like when a when a pastor when you're looking to call a pastor from the minute from the seminary for example we call pastor barton so like we have all these we have in our mind certain characteristics uh, that we might be looking for in a a pastor if you've ever been a part of a church that's called a pastor whether from the field or from the seminary, you have in your mind like personality characteristics, right? But that's never, it should not be your, really, it shouldn't be on the radar. The most important thing is, is he faithful or not? So all the vows that he takes are regarding his being faithful to God's word. And that really puts in perspective what is expected of him. So it's coming, it's it's really in, a, in most simple way, it's being taught the word, receiving the, receiving the, sermons receiving the sacraments over and over and over and over again right giving us the medicine when i'm sick so you come you come to church with your prescription that says i have sin and i'm dying and the pastor says here try this i forgive you all of your sins see you next week right come back we'll do it again didn't take a lot to fulfill that prescription but that's the way god set it up so to be faithful and then wise How does the Lord speak of wisdom? What is wisdom for God? Wisdom is, wisdom for Jesus is foolishness to the world. We preach Christ crucified, the wisdom of God, yet foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Gentiles, right? So the Greeks are always after sophos, wisdom. Uh, And yet this is, Seemingly foolish in the eyes of the world, so to be the wise manager is to simply preach Christ crucified. To be faithful in that, which isn't easy, uh, you're set over the household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. So what is that? It doesn't say they're gourmet chefs. It's like a it's like a house cook. It's just it, it's it's mom and dad putting food on the table and a meal, which isn't always bacon wrapped filet mignon, occasionally it's gonna be Costco lasagna, but it feeds the people and it's the proper time. So think about it as this is administering the word according to law and gospel. Is, Is God's word always pleasant for our sinful ears to hear? Do you like being told not to do stuff that you like to do? Who likes being told they're doing something wrong? What's the immediate response of all of our sinful flesh? Whenever someone's telling you you're doing something wrong, you immediately think, oh, thank you. No, what's the response? How dare you? Self-justification. You're a hypocrite because you do it, they do it, or whatever the thing is. So the, but, And yet the pastor is simply given to speak this speak the truth of the, the Lord's word, which isn't always pleasant to hear at times. So um, uh, uh, if, if the congregation is kind of wants to rally against the, against the preacher, that's where you have like the death of Jeremiah, all the prophets of the Old Testament, God sends them to speak God's word faithfully. And what happens? All the prophets are just killed. The apostles are often chased out of town. Galatians ends up with, with Paul being rejected. So it's very often a message that's rejected because the world's rejecting it anyway. So we're used to like rejecting this message. Um, but the more the, the more the church is actually embracing and, and, and reading and studying God's word, the more it's appreciating the, the law for doing what the law is supposed to do. Show, show the sin, turn us back to Jesus for forgiveness. The law is always coming at us like, it's, you, it's a you problem. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about somebody else. It's showing you or you have erred so that you turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Um, that's the food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master f- will find so doing when he comes. So, my question there. Uh, what does it mean for pastors to be stewards? I talked about that. How does this show the distinction between authority of office and the power of person? Oh, good. You remember my shtick on authority and power, but just to, just to review, a steward who's only given to do what the owner has given him to do is acting not on his own strength, but, but only insofar as the owner has given him to speak. So the classic, the best example would be the pastor standing before you and saying, I forgive you all of your sins. If you know me, like what, what makes me qualified to forgive sins? Who does that? Nobody. Like I can forgive your sin if you've sinned against me personally, but that's not the kind of stuff that everybody comes to church on Sunday morning to confess to pastor how they've wronged him that week. Well, what are you, what are you confessing? How you've sinned against God? By sinning against everybody else. So you've sinned against God personally, but also you sin sinned against God by sinning against everybody else. And you come again, you confess these sins to God, and then somebody who's not the person you're talking to says, "I forgive you all of your sins." Why? Because that's what stewards do. Jesus handed it to me, and he said, "Hey, give it to them. I want them to hear it with their own ears." Same with the Lord's Supper, right? To give them my body and blood for the forgiveness of their sins. I want them to have it. I want them to know as surely as they're chewing on it that it's that they're forgiven, that they're holy. Baptism the same way. Confession and absolution. Jesus appears in the, in the empty room on Easter evening and says, peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit, he breathes on them. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. He sends them out to speak forgiveness. Why? Because that's what stewards do. Hey, go, go forgive sins. Here's the thing I want on the cross. Take it and give it, give it to everybody else. Give it to everybody who, who's a sinner, which is everybody. Uh, so that's different. So it's, it's, it's uh, the authority of the steward is not from some kind of power within. The word, in fact, the word translated ability is the same word dunamis, power. So we think of power as like Hulk Hogan, um, which, I mean, as, as I get balder, I'm thinking I'm just gonna shave my head and then grow out of Fu Manchu fully and just embrace the, the Hulk Hogan-ness. It's like, that's not being well-received by all of you. Wouldn't you be proud to have a shepherd who looks like some kind of a beast? Anyway, Uh, but so it's it's not about the power of the individual. It's not about the individual uh, abilities of the person, but rather they're speaking the word of God, which is the thing that does the thing. God's word does what it says, and the pastor's just sent to speak it. Now, interestingly here, there's an assumption that there is a pastoral office. So think about, I mean, really, he's going to go on this whole rail that he goes on against those who are unfaithful. The verse 44, uh, he will set him over his possessions like stewards do. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on that day, he does not expect him and will cut him into pieces with the unfaithful. Maybe I, is it too late to change careers. This is a pretty stern warning, but what's, it get, what's ultimately the, the threat? So is it possible for pastors to not be faithful as stewards? And what would that look like? So if the servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming. So like, but well, Jesus is never going to come back. So perhaps it's the teaching that, like uh, if you remember the the Anglican Bishop, is it Spung, I forget the, is it John, John Henry Spong, who, who denied the virgin birth. He denied the resurrection. And yet he's like, he'd be the equivalent of not Matt Harrison, but like our district president in the, I think it's the Anglican tradition. So he's like, not just a bad pastor, but he's like over everybody. And he's saying the resurrection didn't actually occur. What's the point? What's, what, what are they teaching in the churches if they don't believe that stuff? Right? So now it it, it diminishes Christianity from the proclamation of Christ crucified or resurrected for sinners to be a better person. Here's some cool teachings from this guy who may or may not have existed, but it's a cool way to live. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be nice. But there's not like a heaven and hell judgment type. There's not a return of Christ. And that's why you get this easy merger of, of churches who say, well, if, if none of this stuff about Jesus is true, then it doesn't matter what you believe. You pick the religion that works best for you on your journey, and it will all kind of just disappear when we die. So pick the, pick the philosophy that you like to live by. It's totally subjective. So maybe it's it's that. Um, that's the beating, that's the beating of the male and female servant, as opposed to the the faithful, the faithful shepherd, is supposed to be giving out the gifts of the cross, forgiveness. Um, yeah, John. Well, I was just going to say you're, you're sort of describing a situation where a pastor is telling everyone what he thinks, right? And it's I, I knew an ELCA pastor like that. We would have Bible study and he'd say, "I believe this and I believe that." A lot of it not in the Bible. And I thought to myself that this is all just about what you think, and it's not about that we can all throw in. The well, so it, the comes from well if the authority of Bible if the authority of the Bible disappears, right. then the the authority of the pastor also disappears, and you're left with nothing but the power and ability of the individual. Yeah, he's just a guy who has opinions like I do. Which is why, for example, the yeah, the beauty of the pulpit, the vestments, so covering up the man with, with vestments, standing preaching from the pulpit is a reminder to you that it's not my ideas but this is the the unchanging church when no matter who you plug into this spot it's going to be preaching god's word faithfully it's not my idea and yet so as you start to diminish the office of the ministry you diminish the value of the authority of god's word you really can strip everything out of the chancel but a microphone because that's ultimately why you're here because you're not here to receive any gifts that have been stewarded by someone. You're here to actually be hearing from somebody who's got a, a cool way of teaching, or some interesting ideas. So you are there for the individual. That kind of makes sense, right? So beating the servants versus faithfully, uh, faithfully stewarding God's forgiveness to them, um, abusing the abusing the gifts. And then he, this, this stern thing about coming at an hour he doesn't expect and cutting him into pieces, wah, uh, and putting him with the unfaithful, well, what what do you cut into pieces in the Old Testament? The sacrifices, particularly with covenants. So think about, the, the, so what, it's an interesting twist that Jesus is doing. The pastors are supposed to be passing out the, the gifts of, won by the sacrifice of Jesus. It's stewarding the sacrifice of Jesus. So if you're not gonna do that, then you're gonna become the sacrifice. Um, but so the, maybe something to think about is that, that how does the, Jesus making this, give, giving a stern warning about the faithfulness of the shepherd still emphasizes the necessity of the, the pastoral role. So if you heard people say, oh, I, don't, I don't think we should, we don't, I don't need to be in church. This kid's a really popular COVID and, po- and even now post-COVID teaching that I can kind of do church on my own. Like I, I don't need a church. Well, the problem is Jesus is the one who instituted the church and he, he's the one who put the steward there to give out his gifts. Remember the forgiveness of sins that's won on the cross, is delivered wherever Jesus wants it delivered. And wherever Jesus is passing out those gifts, we call that the church. Whether or not it's in a building... It's where the people are gathered together to hear God's word, right? So this so, so there's no way you can say, well, there's not an there's not a clear steward. God Jesus doesn't have in mind this idea of a pastor handing out gifts. Well, then what do you do with this text? What's he talking about? If, is he talking about actually being good stewards of of possessions? Because we know that's true. We talked about that in the previous previously in this own chapter, where it's Everything that we have is given to us by God to use in service to our neighbor, and we are stewards of those things. But is that the context? Especially if he's talking to Peter, when Peter says, Who are you talking about? Me, him, me, him. And Jesus is saying, It's you. Well, guess what? The disciples don't have anything, they don't have any stuff. They've given it all away. They've renounced it. That's why Jesus says, blessed are those who have renounced everything and followed me. Son of man, be careful when you're following me because the son of man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head, right? So they take their, they don't take their money bags. They take their, I picture them on like a bandana of, of bananas on a stick and they're walking through the, whatever, I guess bananas, figs, whatever they'd have. They don't, they got nothing. So if he's talking to Peter and he says like in verse 48 everyone to whom much is given much will be required well they don't have anything so what are you talking about if not you're talking about handing over the gospel for the sake of passing it out to others whether it's the understanding of the gospel the being a steward of the gospel to, to spread it with others to whom much is given much is required also popular for you spider-man fans what's that what's the advice that uh his grandpa gives him in the first spider-man with with great power comes, I guess a different. Is it maybe it's Kanye West? To whom much is given, much is tested. Is that my limited rap expertise? All right. So you get this stern word. At the very least, it serves as law, as law to pastors to be. Faithful and wise stewards of God's gifts, because it is often tempted, tempting to not be, to not be a, to not be a steward, and to turn this into pride. Pride is perhaps the greatest temptation for pastors to to long to be people, people pleasers, to scratch itching ears, to tell the people what they want to hear, and not, not what Jesus wants you to say. That's why some texts are very uncomfortable to preach on. So that's why. We usually run to the epistle lesson on those Sundays. <laughs> this gospel lesson is great. Let's look at the Old Testament reading. Uh, but no, it's, I mean, you're supposed to be good. Supposed to be good stewards and faithfully preaching what Jesus has said here. Um, any uh, with the with, regarding the levels of a of dis, of disobedience, you have the straight up abusers who are cut into pieces. Those who knew and didn't do, and they're beaten. And then those who didn't know and didn't do, and they're beaten less. What is that? I don't exactly know, except for I mean, if you're if you're running with the presupposition that my my suggestion and as the commentators have agreed, it's it seems to be referring to the pastoral office. Then it's I guess it would be those who are like they just didn't know any better. Like they're, they have a Bible, they they're thinking that they're doing the right thing when they abuse their sheep. <laughs> this is um, I know I know it says this is the true body and blood of Christ. Do this often but I'm gonna say that we're not gonna do this often. And it's not the biting blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, because that's what my pastor said. And I really like that guy. So it's kind of like, well, you're wrong. So you're not being helpful for your sheep. I have the steward to forgive sins. Well, I'm not gonna do that because only God can forgive sin. Well, Jesus said to do it. So what does the punishment look at? I don't know. At the very least it's, it's law to be faithful. I mean, and that's ultimately what Jesus is always after. We've seen this a lot in Luke 12. How do you, as a pastor, or even as a Christian, you read this and it's referring to the disciples at large to be, to be entrusted with the gospel for the sake of spreading it on to your children, to your families, sharing it with your community. We wanna hold it to ourselves and not spread that gospel. So let it, let, hear it for the law that it is. Do I wanna be beaten? Cut into pieces or spread the gospel. I'm gonna go with gospel spreading, right? Or be, being faithful. Any, any thoughts on that? I did not receive a satisfying, this is what this means. Very rarely do you have, like in today's gospel reading in church, when, G, when Luke says, Jesus told him this parable to accomplish these two things. Boom, boom, here's the parable. Ah, so like, I don't even need the parable. I just assert those two things. But in, here you get these weird parables and Jesus doesn't necessarily say, A equals this, B equals this, right? So we're, we're running our brain through it. And, we, and that's good good and fine to do, but always remember the, the thrust of the gospel is to, I mean, in this case, the law within the gospel text to actually have its way with us and to to repent the unfaithful and turn them to be faithful and wise stewards. And, and also to remind the, the church that That's what the pastors are to be doing. When you're looking for a pastor, when your expectations of what the pastor are, it's to be faithful. You hold the pastor to his vows. No, 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 your job is to be faithful. So why aren't you forgiving my sins? Stop leading lectures on how to, I don't know, be a better dad instead of the gospel. Yeah. So we, do we go to church to be reinforced? So I mean I I think that's a good that's a that's a common misunderstanding. It's a great I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because it gave me an opportunity to not finish this handout today. Why do you go to church? Uh, there, there's a Mandy and I were down in like Boulder back when we're in Colorado for this Christmas. Thing in the method. it happened to be housed in a Methodist church. It was a cool, it was like boar's head. It's pretty cool. Have you ever seen a boar's head? Christmas caroling thing. It's pretty amazing. But I'm looking at this church, we have to get there early to get our seats. And of course, and you're sitting in a church, so what do you do? You got to grab their, all the stuff in the pew in front of you and critique it, circle all the stuff you despise, and hand it to Mandy and let her roll her eyes at you. <laughs> I'm looking at the pictures on the wall, and the artwork is screaming what this room is about. And it's only to learn. It's, it's, it was baby Jesus, or, or, ta- or teenage Jesus, I guess, in the temple when he, was, when he went back when he was 12, um, when he's, he basically goes to Sunday school to learn. So if church is purely academic, um, then you don't need to actually be here, right? In fact, that's an argument toward livestream stream only, which is why so many churches who don't believe in the true presence of Jesus in the sacrament have still, are, they're struggling to get people back in church because there's no point. So there's lots of other points to actually come. It's to receive the gifts. Um, and one of those gifts being the Lord's word that does the thing. God, uh, God's word does what it says to us. So his word doesn't return void. So God speaks his law. And it convicts us of sin, gives us the gift of repentance, and turns us back to him for forgiveness. So God is doing his thing. And yes, all that said, there's also this academic level that occurs too. I mean, you just can't help it. We're hearing God's word. We're learning it. The, 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 the epistles are always telling us to, to learn the word, right? So we are. But that's not, that's not the extent, the, the full extent of why, we, why we're here. Because you, you can never walk out of this church and say, I didn't get anything out of that. For whatever your reason might be, um, you didn't get enough sleep last night or whatever it was, or you just didn't appreciate the preacher or whatever the thing is. You walked out of here with your sins forgiven and your faith strengthened. But I didn't, I don't remember. Well, what, what did you have for dinner last Thursday? I don't remember. Did, did it feed you? Yeah, well, you're welcome. Right, that's the idea. So the Lord's feeding us um, in spite of ourselves. Good good question. Any other comments or questions on that? All right, um, let's look at the back of our handout. Not peace, but division. This is the gospel lesson on Church Family Sunday when we kicked off Sunday school. That's, that's just how far behind we have gotten in Luke 12. Um, Luke 12.49, I came to cast fire on earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. What? I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. All right, what do you do with that? So I came to cast fire on the earth. Well, let's back up. I put this nice little picture of an angel, which does I mean I think we've we've beat that to death in our sermons about angels, that the, and I think next... Or Saint Michael and all angels. We we talk about angels as they're not the the, the effeminate um, or ba- fat little babies. They're they're like you know military scary things. But I mean you get the idea. Peace on earth this is that's the proclamation of who, who and when. The angels at Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. So yeah, did I, did I think you came to bring peace on earth? Well, yeah, right? What else does he bring in peace? Song of Simeon? You get the, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to the Gentiles, peace to the world. On Easter evening, he shows up in the room, peace be with you, he shows his hands on his side. Jesus is all about peace. And yet, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled what so what's he talking about what is the fire that Jesus casts on the earth well every time fire comes up what's fire representing in the scriptures to to simplify it is fire good or bad it's purifying it's purifying yeah? Do, is it, whenever you see, whenever you see hell, I mean in the immediate context of Luke 11, when the, whenever the disciples are rejected in some town, or Jesus is rejected in some town, and, and like uh, James and John are like, hey, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy the town like you did at Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire is this picture of God's judgment. What is hell where the fire is not quenched? So with this picture of God's judgment on sin is fire being cast on the earth. So is, in what way does Jesus' coming unto the earth actually also cast fire on the earth? All the wrath that is poured out on humanity is poured out where? On him, on him where? On the cross. On the cross. Which is why he says, I wish that this were over with. Would that it were already kindled. How great is my distress until it is to tell Which is the last word Jesus says on the cross or one of the last words. It is finished, it is accomplished. One, the one Greek word to tell that's the same word here. How great is my distress until it is finished. So he's already pointing to the cross. The baptism to be baptized with? Well, he's already been baptized. That was at the beginning of his ministry, Luke 3. So this is this the wrath of God being poured out upon him. It's the wrath that we deserve. It's the fire that we deserve. It's all being, it's all being poured out on him. Now, this weird thing. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, but rather division. So... Whenever the gospel is rejected as the weakness of the cross, the the wrath of God being poured out on the cross, the baptism that he's accomplishing on the cross for us, when that is rejected, what do you end up with but division? So the peace that Jesus brings is the very thing that brings division. It's not because he's trying to bring division. it's that by bringing the preaching of the cross, it actually divides. But, I mean, I think that's a helpful A way to run about this, to say that his peace that he brings brings division, that he's not trying to bring division, except for he says this unfortunate little phrase at the end of 51, no, I tell you, I told, do you think I have come to bring peace? No, I tell you, but rather division. I have come to bring division. What? Well, let's think back to, the, um, the tower of, of Babel, when the people are unified, making a name for themselves, right? That's the problem. The problem is not the tower is getting big. I mean, I think I preached on this this year, but the the problem with the tower of Babel was not that they were like, they were figured out how to make a really tall skyscraper. The problem was they're trying to make a name for themselves. And that's not just that they're trying to become famous. So think, they, they have a name, they belong to the Lord, they belong to his name, so do you. God has put his name upon you. You don't have to make a name for yourself. God has given you his name. You are a Christian. You bear the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So to make a name for yourself is to say, I don't need Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as if you pull it off, like a sticker, and keep a name for myself, which means I'm gonna self-justify. I don't need God, I can make my own way. And that was the unifying feature of Babel. And so what does God do? He divides. But he, does he divide for the sake of destroying them or for ultimately saving them? To save them. So he, he scatters the people at the Tower of Babel so that they would stop making a name for themselves and be made a name in him, right? And so it is for us, the division that, that cuts through each of us that's the preaching of the word that we experience at church in our own reading of God's word hearing it hearing it proclaimed teaching it to our children and so forth it is God's word that actually divides kills the old adam it's not pleasant kills the sinful flesh within us it divides sinner and saint within us and then th- then from there it extends into our households where the where the cross is rejected we they, we see division to those in our in our household, in our community, they would rather justify themselves than live in the gospel of the cross. We have division. Any other comments or questions there? You're thinking he's gonna finish another handout. You're thinking right. We got, we got, we're right on track, beautiful. Interpreting the time. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the West, you say at once a shower is coming and so it happens. (laughs) And yet our news people can't figure that out. (laughs) And when you see in the South wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Okay, interpreting the time. Let's see. These are examples of current events as our handout, cloud and wind, the current events that you can see the clouds and the wind, that indicate that there are coming realities, shower and heat. So what is it that was happening in the present time? The Greek word for Kairos is Kairos. What is it to be interpreted to indicate in the future? Well, that's kind of a complicated question. I was trying to get at, so if, it's, if you see clouds, it means it's going to rain. If you see wind coming from the south, it means it's gonna get hot. So Jesus is saying you should be able to see what's happening now to, to tell what's coming. So what's happening now and what's coming? Because he doesn't say, but we have a context, right? He's just talked about this returning like a thief in the night, his return. He's also talked about the cross, so first of all, what, is, what's, what kind of stuff is happening that they can actually see in the now? What's Jesus doing all the time? His ministry of, of miracles that can be seen. When people are saying like, you long for a sign and he gets mad at him, but then he goes and does a miracle anyway. So he's doing all these things of, that the Messiah is given to do. And so we have, the, we have Jesus doing Messiah things and teaching Messiah things would indicate that the cross is coming. Uh, but also since we have this end times theme, that Jesus has dropped this right in the middle of, of all this return of Christ, final judgment type stuff. Uh, he comes unexpectedly and so forth. We have this idea of Jesus coming back on the last day. And what's happening now in the present time is Jesus saving his people. Now, the reason why I I would lean that way with it is because what he says next. The, The settling with your accuser. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison i tell you you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny is jesus giving us like advice here on how to settle lawsuits without going to court randomly seemingly haphazardly dropped into this spot of course not what is this point what is the what is the what's the hearing before the magistrate what is it the final judgment So settle with your accuser before you get there because once you get there, you're going to get thrown into prison for everything you owe and you won't get out until you've paid every last penny. The problem is if you owe a lot of money and you obviously can't pay it back, which is why you haven't paid it back and you get thrown into prison, what are you not doing in prison? Making money, which means how long are you stuck there? Forever. So this is hell. So to not be settled up with the accuser before going before the judge is to be condemned. So what is it to settle up with the accuser? In this context, who's the accuser? Who's the one that can settle up your accounts? Jesus. And so what is it to settle up with him? Give him everything that is owed, which we cannot do. What's the other way you can settle accounts if you can't pay the debt? What's another way that it can be settled? That you can negotiate? Or? Somebody else can pay it. Specifically, the one to whom the debt is owed. We call that debt forgiveness. It's very popular with the government. (laughs) Getting all these jabs into the government lately. Ultimately, even, even even with the government, somebody else, someone else pays it, right? But that's the idea. Jesus, he, he, so settle up with Jesus before the final judgment. So let Jesus forgive your sins. And here, what he's doing here is he's actually doing the thing that he's requiring of you. He's hitting you in the head with the law He's given us countless things to fear. We're at the return of Christ. We know the return is coming. I don't know what to think about. So if the return is coming, I don't, I mean, I certainly don't wanna to go to hell when the return comes and I, and I can't pay my own debts. How do I settle with the accuser? Jesus, will you forgive my sins? This is repentance. To be turned away from my sin, to know that I actually, step one, I actually have debts that I cannot pay. What shows you that you have debts that you cannot pay? The law, the preaching of God's word that exposes the sinner that I am, which then turns me to the one who, to whom the debt is owed and says, Hey, I can't pay it, but you paid it all already. Forgive my sins. So this is repentance to turn from my debt to the one who pays the debt. And Jesus is doing that thing to us in preaching this text. Turning us to him in repentance. He's just, I mean, he's done it all along the way, Luke. He's, he's just hitting it in different in different ways using different different teachings. Settle with the accuser before before the final judgment to be saved by Jesus. We got three minutes left. Beautiful. I'm just getting sick of Luke twelve. Time for a new chapter. Any questions on Luke 12? So what do you do with the division in the households caused by the gospel? Okay, I know your families, and I know that such divisions exist all over the place. What do you do with that? Well, so the first question would be, what did you do wrong? That's, 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 why, you're, that's why you're worried about it. So there's there's division in my household between my children and and. Mother and children and father, whatever. The children aren't going the way that I hope for. There's division because of the gospel. And the faithfulness to God's word is causing division in the household. So you look at yourself, what did I do wrong? Well, guess what? Well, you, first of all, you probably did a lot wrong. So repent. That is, I've, done, I've, missed, I've messed up. I should have been better. Jesus, forgive me for my failures. But guess what? That all aside, faith was never your gift to give anyway. Whose gift is it, and how does he work? Faith by his word. So you raise our ways; we raise the children where they should go, and occasionally you get the prodigal sons that wander off. So what do you do in those times? But do the very thing that the widow is doing in today's text: is is constant, repeated prayer before this loving Father who hears you. He's the one who works repentance. He's the one who brings faith in his time. Right. So it is, it is the preaching of the cross that, that divides, but it's also the preaching of the cross that, the, the, that unites. Right? But it's on his terms and in his time and in his way. So we are to be the faithful stewards. I'm going to wrap that all back together, put a bow in it, sh- end. the Lord be with you. Luke 13 next week.